Welcome to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCreary. Today, I'm going to be talking about the running back contract controversy we got going on in the NFL. I'm also going to talk about the Summer League and some major takeaways I had from that event. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the Atlanta Braves, who are absolutely dominating Major League Baseball at the moment. That's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you all enjoy, and let's get into it. Let's get started by talking about the latest controversy we have in the NFL right now, and that is the fact that running backs are not getting paid. So on Monday, uh, there was a deadline to sign franchise tag players or players who have been franchise tagged to long-term extensions. Monday was the deadline to do it, and there were three big players who all play, who are all running backs. Um, that's Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard. They were trying to get a long-term extension done with their teams. And they and their teams couldn't come to an agreement, so now they would play on the franchise tag for one season. Um, and this sucks for them, and, and, and I'll get into that in a second. Now, sure, they are getting paid around $10 million a season, and that's a lot of money. But they want long-term security. Like, every player in the NFL wants long-term security. It's why these players were dying to get a long-term deal done by the deadline. And now they don't have that. Now, they're going they're going to get paid for one season, but that's only one season guaranteed of, of pay. And, you know, they could get hurt. You know, Saquon, Saquon has already gotten, um, has already suffered a significant injury in his career. He tore his ACL a few, a few years ago. So, you know, it's not a guarantee that they're going to get a long-term extension down the road. Um, and all of these players are awesome. They've been super productive. Um, Josh Jacobs was arguably the best runner in the NFL last season. Saquon Barkley had a big year returning from injury. Um, Tony Pollard playing alongside uh, Ezekiel Elliott was incredible last year, was super efficient, um, and is one of the best up-and-coming running backs in the NFL at the moment. Um, And so, theoretically, all of these guys should have gotten paid. They've been productive. They've been extremely productive at that. Um, So, they should get paid based Based off of that, but they aren't, and that is a ongoing issue with running backs at the moment, and that's the problem. And this week, we've seen a lot of the top running backs in the NFL, like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, and um, even Austin Eckler, go on social media and talk about the situation. And they've voiced their displeasure with, with what is happening to NFL running backs, um, and their displeasure with the fact that, that top-end running backs are not getting paid what they're worth. Um, and this is, like I said earlier, this is becoming more common, and I think the major issue is that it's happening for the elite guys at the position. I mean, it would suck even if it was just happening to guys who were, you know, average at the position. But no, this is a problem for even the best players at the position. Now, why is this happening? This is happening for a few reasons. One, NFL running backs have a shorter lifespan on average and tend to decline around age 27 or 28, um, which is close to the end of their rookie contract for most running backs. And then number two, running backs are not actually that valuable in the modern NFL. I know that running backs um, are going to disagree with that, but I've seen many studies about how passing is way more efficient than running, how run blocking impacts the run game more than 
and running backs, how offenses can actually set up play action without having a high-level run game, um, and then how how throwing to running backs is less efficient than throwing to wide receivers and tight ends. And so these studies are showing that running backs, while providing some value, are not as valuable as th- as people might think, and that you know the that like the offensive line provide provides a ton of value to the run game, and how you know even pass catching running backs aren't actually providing that much value, and it's a it's a huge problem for the position in the modern NFL because now teams don't have to rely on their top end running backs, and so they don't have to pay them what they're probably worth. And, and this is a major problem because now teams are going to start drafting running backs, getting their production um, while paying them almost no money. And then they're going to trade them or let them walk at the end of their contract. And then they're just going to draft another running back to continue that cycle. And that's the major issue. Running backs have a really hard job. They're, they're like What they do on the football field is very physically demanding, and teams are able to exploit them for their labor without paying them. And that's the major issue here, and it's why NFL running backs are upset at the moment. Now, what are some potential solutions to this problem? There are a few that I've heard, um, and I, I even have one my, myself. Number one, you can have shorter rookie contracts for running backs specifically. Maybe their rookie contracts are just three years, which would allow them to hit free agency earlier, um, which would potentially allow them to make money since the end of their rookie contract. Would it also be around the same time as their decline generally? That isn't the case for every running back, but generally that is the case for most running backs. Most running backs decline around age 27 or 28, and that's usually around the the same time the rookie contract ends. Number two, you could also change how much money teams can spend on each position. Maybe teams are only able to spend this much on quarterbacks, this much on running backs, this much on receivers, and so on. Now, I don't know how realistic that is. Um, Obviously, the NFLPA would have to agree to that, and I'm not sure how realistic that is, but that is a potential solution, in my opinion. Um, I've also heard... um, you know, about removing the salary cap and how maybe that would help. I don't think that would help at all, really. I mean, just because there was salary cap is not the reason why running backs aren't getting paid. It's more of an issue with the position uh, rather than the salary cap. So I've heard that I've heard people, you know, put put forth that solution, but I don't think that would help running backs very much at all, honestly. Now, the last solution I want to put out there, and this one is what I think would actually solve the problem, is changing the rules to make running backs more valuable. Now, I don't know how this would work. And I'm not actually sure what what specific rule changes would help, you know, improve running backs value. Um, But I think maybe you could, you know, limit how many players a defense can put inside the box. Maybe that would help. Um, I I really don't know specifically what kind of rule changes are realistic and what would actually help running backs be more valuable. But I think that's the major issue here. I think the game of football, the way it's played now, 
um, is limiting the value of running backs. And I think that's the problem here. I don't think it has anything to do with the salary cap um, or the way that's structured. I think it's the game of football itself. Right now, in my opinion, running backs just simply aren't that valuable. Even the best ones, um, even like the elite at the position, they're valuable in, in some way, but they're not actually that valuable and they're not worth paying top dollar for. Um, so I think if the NFL wants to solve this problem, they're probably going to have to change the rules of the game um, to make it to where running backs are actually valuable again, because at the moment, they aren't. And this whole thing sucks. This whole situation, it sucks for running backs, um, because like I said earlier, they have a really difficult job. It's physically demanding, um, and they they just aren't going to get paid. Um, they're gonna get. They're gonna continue to to get exploited for their labor. Um, they're not gonna get paid uh, what they they may be worth, and that really stinks. So I feel for running backs. I am a I, I am a data nerd. I'm a stats nerd. Um, so I do believe that running backs aren't that valuable in the modern NFL. Um, but I do feel for these running backs. They're human beings, uh, and the fact that they aren't getting paid does stink. I feel for them. Um, and in a perfect world they would get paid. So I, I feel bad for them. Um, and this is a tough situation for NFL running backs. All right, now let's move on and talk about a few takeaways I had from the NBA Summer League, um, including a handful of players that I thought played extremely well. Let's get started by talking about a few two-year players or second-year players like Jabari Smith Jr. and Keegan Murray. Uh, both of these guys, they only played two games, but they played extremely well. Let's get let's start off by talking about Jamari Smith. Um, he averaged in his two games, he averaged 36 points, seven rebounds, and four assists per game. Shot 48.8% from the field, had a true shooting percentage of 64.7%, which is great. That scoring volume on that scoring efficiency is insane. Um, he shot just 33.3% from the three-point line, but he took about nine three-pointers a game and shot 85.2% from the free-throw line. So I think based on the, on those numbers, his his three-point attempts per game, his free-throw shooting, I think that, that that's a great shooting profile. And in my opinion, that means that he's probably going to be a really strong long-distance shooter uh, down the road. He also took 13 and a half free throw attempts per game, which is huge. Um, for, you know, one of his biggest weaknesses coming to, coming into the NBA was his handle. Um, he didn't really have a great handle, and that, and that affected his ability to get to the rim, to get to the free throw line. And in the summer league this year, we saw him get to the free throw line a lot, which is huge. That's going to improve his efficiency. And if he's able to get to the rim more, um, that's going to be huge for his game moving forward. It's going to make him a better scorer. Um, and overall, it's going to make him a more efficient offensive player. Um, let's look at some, some more stats for him. He, he ranked second in the entire summer league in PER, which is a catch-all metric that uses buck score data uh, to measure a player's productivity on a permanent basis. It's not perfect, but we don't have a lot of data for the summer league, and we don't have a lot of catch-all metrics. So this is one of the better metrics we have available to kind of encapsulate a player's in, or productivity on a permanent basis. Um, and he ranks second in this stat for the entire summer league, or for all players that play in the summer league. So 
that's awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, I thought I thought Jamari Smith was awesome in his two games. I will say, when looking at summer league performance, you do have to take it with a grain of salt because you know it's it's fringe NBA level competition. And in the case of Jamari Smith and Keegan Murray, while they played well, they only played two games, so it is a very small sample size. Uh, but the fact that these two players dominated is a good sign. They're second year players. If they're really that good, they should dominate the summer league. So it's good to see that they did in fact play at a very very high level. Uh, back to Jamari Smith, um, like I said at the beginning, elite scoring productivity. He also showed improving improvement in terms of his passing production. He averaged four assists per game and had around a 20% assist rate, which is awesome. That's really good. Um, he also had a good shooting profile. Didn't shoot super well from three, but took a lot of attempts on a per-game basis and also shot really well from the free throw line. Um, and then the free throw generation was just incredible. And that's huge. If he's gonna, if that's gonna continue, if he's gonna continue to get to the rim um, and generate free throws at a high level, I think that is gonna be huge for his development. So it was awesome to see Jamari Smith play super well. Didn't have a great rookie season, but came out, played in the summer league as a second-year player, and dominated. That's what you want to see. So shout out to him. He was awesome. Next up, I'm going to talk about Keegan Murray. Uh, like I said earlier, he played two games, averaged 30, around 35 points, three rebounds, and half assists per game, uh, shot 51.4% from the field, had a true shooting percentage of 72.3%, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, he also shot 45% from the three-point line, um, averaged 10 three-point attempts per game, and shot 88.5% from the free-throw line, which is awesome. Um, and like Jamari Smith Jr., he generated free-throws at a remarkable rate. Um, he averaged 13 free-throw attempts per game, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, I was very impressed by Keegan Murray. Thought he looked good. Only played two games. And wasn't super productive all around like Jamari Smith was. But the scoring was super impressive. Um, and I thought I thought it was very clear that he was way too good to be playing in the Summer League. Um, I was very impressed with his performance, especially in Game 2. And let me pull up his game log real quick from the Summer League. Because uh, in his second game... He played extremely well. Um, if I can pull this up, yes, I can. Let's look at his summer league game logs. So this year, um, in his second game versus the Kings, he had 41 points and shot 55% from the field and 54.5% from three on 11 three-point attempts. So in that game, he was awesome, and he had a scoring outburst. Um, but yeah, Keegan Murray was great in his two games, and it was very clear that he didn't need to be playing. Um, it was no use. He is, he is way too good for Summer League. So shout out to Keegan Murray and Jamari Smith. They were two second-year players that, that stood out to me that I thought played extremely well. Now let's talk about a few rookies who I thought played well. Starting off with Keontae George. So Keontae George played six games, played for the entire Summer League, averaged around 19 points, four rebounds, and five assists per game. Also averaged just 1.8 turnovers per game, shot 45.7% from the field, had a true shooting percentage of 60%, shot 38.6% from three on 7.3 attempts per game, which is really good. Him shooting that well from three on that volume is awesome to see. And he shot 75% from the free throw line. 
one, which isn't great, but it's good. Um, and I think that that's a, a pretty good shot profile for a guy his age. He's only, he's only, I think, 19 years old at the moment. So that's awesome to see. Um, I thought he was way better in the Summer League than he was at Baylor. Um, and it is only six games, but he looked more athletic. The decision-making was a lot better. His ball handling, handling was better. He shot better from inside the arc. Um, and overall, he was just very productive. Um, like His passing product, production was better. The scoring volume and efficiency combination was great. And if, if this continues, if he's able to replicate this kind of production in the NBA at some point... He's going to be an awesome player. Like, he looks like a future star right now. Um, I was a bit lower on him prior to the draft. I had him ranked 20th on my big board. Um, so I thought he was a, a, a solid prospect. But there were a few warts in his profile that I didn't love. And he improved on those in the Summer League. Now, time will tell if that's legitimate if that if, if if his improvement is real and, and if that's going to continue but I thought he was incredible in the summer league um he he's like the one rookie that I thought that I looked at and was like wow like I think I was wrong about him he looked awesome in the summer league and I can't wait to see um how he plays in the NBA and how and how his development plays out moving forward Let's close out uh, this section of the podcast talking about Cam Whitmore, um, who had a solid a solid summer league, ended up winning the summer league MVP. Now I'm not sure that he was that good, uh, but that's that's awesome to see a young player at just 18 years old. He might be 19 years old at the moment, uh, but seeing a young player like that win the summer league MVP is super cool. Um, and he played fairly well, averaged 19 points, um, five rebounds, and, and two assists per game. Also averaged two and a half steals, which is awesome. He shot 44.7% from the field, 28.6% from three on 8.2 three-point attempts per game, and shot 62.5% from the free throw line. He was pretty productive in the summer league. I will say um, I wasn't that impressed by his efficiency, and I thought his shooting profile was okay, um, not great, and doesn't give me a lot of confidence Confidence in his jump shot. That was one thing I was worried about uh, with him heading into the NBA. It's why I was a little bit lower on Whitmore than most people, um, and he, he had a true shooting percentage of 52.7%, um, which is not, not great, and his free throw shooting was below 70%, uh, below 65%, it's pretty low, and although he was attempting a lot of threes, which is great to see from a young player, he wasn't hitting them at a high clip, and I just didn't think that his free throw percentage was good enough to be to be confident that he's going to be a great three-point shooter at the next level, um, and, and that stinks for a guy who's going to be playing off the ball. Now, maybe his interior scoring is good enough for him to be a great scorer at the next level. I don't know. Um, and so I'm just not confident in Cam Whitmore being a star at the next level. He can be a good role player, but I don't see him becoming a star in the NBA. But yeah, his, uh, his summer league performance was interesting. Um, I thought the scoring volume was great to see. It was great to see him attempting so many threes on a per game basis. And his defensive activity was great. He had a steal rate of 3.5% and a block rate of 1.3%, which is great. And his PER was 18.1, which is above average. It's not, you know, anything spectacular, but it is good, good to see him have an above average PER. So yeah, um, 
those were a few rookies I thought played really well in the Summer League. Actually, I'm forgetting one player. I just had a brain fart. There was another guy I wanted to talk about, and that's Leonard Miller. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the rookies in the Summer League by talking about Leonard Miller, uh, who, who played five games in the Summer League, uh, played a lot this summer, and was pretty productive, averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, and two assists per game, shot 44.6% from the field, had a true shooting percentage of 54.1%, also shot 36.8% from three, averaged 3.8 three-point attempts per game, and shot 85.7% from the free throw line. Him shooting that well from the free throw line is awesome to see. He also had a, a PER of 19.6, which is above average. And like Whitmore, that's not great, but it is above average, and that's pretty good from a guy his age. He's a young player, so it's awesome to see him be that productive in the summer league. And he was really productive as a rebounder. Um, had a 12.9% offensive rebound rate, which is great, and had a 22.6% defensive rebound rate, which is also great. Um, and overall had a, a 17.3% rebound rate. Uh, those numbers are really good. And he, and he was ultra productive as a defender in terms of his defensive activity. He had a, a steal rate of 2.5% and a block rate of 3.3%. You combine that and that's a stock rate of 5.8%, which is really, really good. Overall, I thought I thought Leonard Miller's production was really good. Um, his rebounding rates were great. Um, he was um, very effective as a three-point shooter, although it was low volume, but still um, shot pretty well from three. And that free throw percentage is nice. So maybe he has some shooting upside. Um, I would like for, for his efficiency to have been better, and he did have a negative assist-to-turnover ratio, um, and also didn't take a ton of shots. His shot volume was pretty low, um, but um, he looked awesome in his first three games. His last two games were kind of meh, not that great, but I thought Leonard Miller Leonard Miller had, had some nice flashes in the Summer League and looked pretty good for a guy his age, so he's a guy I'm very interested in, um, and I can't wait to see how he plays as a rookie and how he develops moving forward. And I do want to give a huge shout out to some other notable players who played well um, during the summer league that, that, I didn't, that I didn't do a deep dive on. Um, and that includes Orlando Robinson, who's a pretty old player. I think he's around 26 years old. He was awesome. Isaiah Mobley was also incredible for the Cavs. Jalen Wilson played well. Um, Javon Freeman Liberty was great for the Bulls. I think he might get a shot in the NBA. Uh, maybe it's a two-way contract, but that guy played super well, super well in the Summer League. Also got uh, Sam Merrill for the Cavs, another Cavs player who shined. Uh, Hunter Tyson, a rookie for the Nuggets, played out of his mind during the Summer League. He was awesome. Um, and I'll name some other guys that played well, like Xavier Moon, Xavier Moon um, Adama Sinogo, a rookie for the Bulls, um, and Colin Castleton, a rookie for the Lakers. Those were just a, another handful of guys that I thought played really well in the Summer League. And deserved a shout out. Um, I didn't. I, um, I didn't do a deep dive on them, but I thought they played well enough to deserve a shout out. And hopefully they get a chance um, in the NBA because all of those guys played really well in the summer league. All right, 
let's end this podcast talking about the Atlanta Braves, who are dominating Major League Baseball at the moment. So I don't usually talk about baseball on this podcast. I'm a huge basketball and football fan, um, and those are the sports that I mainly cover. But I am a huge Braves fan, and the Braves are on a tear right now. Um, so far this isn't, they have a 61 and 32 record. And it's funny that I'm talking about them right now because right now they are on a three game losing streak. But in the last 30 games, let me pull up their record for the last 30 games. So in the last 30 games, they are 22 and eight, which is absolutely incredible. That record over that time span is just nuts. Um, and they've been awesome as a team. They lead the league in wins and winning percentage, and they rank second in run differential and SRS. And SRS is essentially run differential adjusted for strength of of schedule. And they rank second in those two metrics behind the Texas Rangers, who have been awesome this season. And the Braves have been just unbelievable in terms of hitting. They're second in runs per game uh, with 5.67. They're first in home runs at 176. They're second in batting average at 270. Second in on-base percentage at 340. And first in slugging percentage at 492. And they're also first in OPS and OPS Plus. They have an OPS of 831 and an OPS Plus of 119. Now, if you don't know what OPS is, OPS is on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. You combine those two numbers and you get on-base percentage. It's a really good measure uh, or a really good metric for measuring a a team or a player's efficiency at the plate. And then on-base or and then OPS plus. Sorry, I can't talk today. OPS plus takes that metric and adjusts it for for um, a team's ballpark um, and then uh, compares it to the league average. So OBS plus for that stat, 100 is league average. Anything above that is above average and anything below that is below average. And the Braves mark of 119 in this stat means they are hitting 19% better than the league average team. And their individual players have been awesome as well. Ronald Acuna Jr. is playing like an MVP. Um, He's arguably been the best player in the league this season. He has 23 home runs, 44 stolen bases. Um, He's going to, you know, possibly have a chance at a 40-40 season this year. He's been great. He's batting 334, um, has an on-base percentage of 414, and a slugging percentage of 591. He also has an an on-base percentage over 1,000, which is great. And his OPS Plus is 165, which is near the top of the league. I don't think he's quite number one. I think I think Shohei Otani is number one in OPS Plus. Um, and then I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is number two. And like I said earlier, I think I mentioned this already. He's first in the league in war or wins above replacement. Um, and he's just been awesome as a hitter and a base dealer. Now, he is still pretty, you know, not great defensively, uh, but like his stat cast page as a hitter is ridiculous. It's it's red everywhere. Um, and the Braves have also had some other players that are playing at a very high level. Let me pull up their numbers. Um, they, they so, uh, like almost all of their hitters are hitting um, at a level that's above league average. Um, you know, Sean Murphy, their catcher, who they traded for in the offseason, he's having a big year, 17 home runs, 57 RBIs, um, 
He's hitting 294 with a 389 on base, 576 slugging, with an OPS of 965 and an OPS plus of 154. He's been incredible at the plate, um, and he was an all-star. Matt Olson is also playing very, very well. He has 30 home runs, which leads the team. Um, 77 RBIs, um, hitting 256 with a 30, 360 on base, 568 slugging, and a 929 OPS, also a 143 OPS plus. Ozzy Albies, their second baseman, has been playing really, really, really well. He has 22 home runs, which is right behind Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, he he's hitting 266 with a 323 on base. 515 slugging, and 830 OPS, which is awesome for a second baseman. Those are some ridiculous hitting numbers for his position. And he has an or an OPS plus of 120. And then you've got guys like Eddie Rosario, Austin Riley, and um, Orlando Arcia, and Marcel Azuna, um, who are all hitting above league average. They aren't, they aren't hitting as well as the other guys I named, like Albies, Olsen, Murphy, and Acuna, uh, but they're still playing very well. It stinks to see Austin Riley take a bit of a step back uh, from where he was producing last year. Last year, he was producing like an MVP. This year, he's still good, but nowhere near that level, um, which stinks to see. But it's awesome, it's awesome to see guys like Rosario, Arcia, and, and, Azuna, and, and Azuna, who are you know hitting at the end of the lineup, play like this. Um, they've been pretty good. And the only guy on the team, or the only guy who's a consistent starter in the lineup who isn't hitting at, a, at an above league average level is Michael Harris. And he has an OPS plus of 96. Now, the Braves have also been pretty good on defense. Um, let me pull up their numbers real quick. And mainly their pitching has been great. So they're fourth in runs allowed per game at 4.11. They're third in ERA at 3.77. And they're first in ERA plus at 121. So ERA, it, it kind of operates like OPS plus. It's an adjusted version of ERA, which adjusts for a team's ballpark. And it compares it to the league average. So, um, 100 is league average. Anything above that is above league average. And anything below that is below league average. So, the Braves' mark of 121 means that they are 21% above league average in terms of their earned runs allowed on a per-game basis. They are also fourth in, in um, FIP, which is Fielding Independent Pitching. It's kind of like ERA, but it only looks at, at things that a pitcher can, can control, like strikeouts, walks, um, home runs given up, and stuff like that. They rank fourth in this metric with a mark of 3.94, and they rank around sixth in strikeouts per nine innings at 9.4, and seventh in strikeout-to-walk ratio with a mark of 3.04. Um, and, they, and a few of their pitchers have, are pitching at a very high level, like Spencer Strider. He's been awesome this year. Um, he has 110.2 innings pitched, um, and he has 176 strikeouts, um, an ERA plus, or an ERA, let me look, of 3.66, and an ERA plus of 124. Um, and his peripherals are awesome. He has a 2.82 FIP, um, a strikeout, strikeouts per nine innings of 14.3, which is ridiculous. Like, that's unreal. Um, and he has a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 5.18. Um, and relief pitchers AJ Minter and Joe Jimenez have pitched pretty well. They've been great. Um, 
Elder Bryce Elder has also been been good by ERA, but his peripherals aren't as great. He did make the All Star team, which is pretty good. But when you look at his peripherals, they aren't quite as good as I think you might think they are. But yeah, the Braves overall they've been great. Their hitting is among, is all like they might be the best hitting team in the league. I think the Rangers are, but they're up there, and their defense has been very good, and their pitching has been has been very very good. Um, I think they have a top ten pitching staff in, in the league right now. Um, Spencer Strider has been nuts. He's been great, and it'll be really interesting to see how good this pitching staff is when um, Max Fried comes that comes back because he's been dealing with an injury. So when he comes back, their pitching is going to be even more dangerous. So shout out to the Braves. They've been awesome, and they look like one of, if not the best team in the league at the moment. That's all I have for y'all today. Thank you for watching. I hope y'all enjoyed. And if you did enjoy it, I would greatly appreciate if you would leave my podcast a review. That would help me out a lot. Once again, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode, and I will see y'all next time. Peace.